DM to GM, we're the show that helps you get your game started. I'm your GM, Sean Howard, from The End of Time and Other Bothers. And I'm your DM from Dungeons & Dragons, Russ Moore. And we're here today to answer a mailbag of questions that have been sent in by you, our listeners. And our first question comes from Models over on our Discord. You can join through the link down in the description. Uh, They ask, I'm honestly more just looking for recommendations for games to play one-on-one, possibly without a GM. I want to introduce my fiancé to tabletop RPGs. Okay. This is, yeah, this is something that you can absolutely do, um, probably with games that you're familiar with. Um, If you... if ch- chances are good, if you search for like D and D with two players, I just did it. Um, I haven't personally run one uh, where we're two players, but the main goal of a lot of tabletop role playing games is to tell a story. You can do that with as many people as you have around the table. Um, there, you can do it in a couple ways. If you're playing D and D specifically, um, one of you is the dungeon master, one of you is a player. Dungeon master. Plans the story as you normally would. The player plays the game. Um, it makes it a much more intimate gameplay to have just one-on-one. Uh, it allows you to really focus on what that player wants to do in the world, which is a really cool thing. Um, another way to take that same game mechanic is to uh, either grab an adventure module or um, plan out a game together and then swap back and forth DM roles. So you're each playing a character, but you're making up the story as you go through it together um, and then swap out as you enter different rooms and as you enter different uh, areas of your game. Or just get a third person. Do it online. That's how Dungeons & Dragons happens. Russ GMs right there where he's sitting now. You can't see him, but I can. Right next to him off camera eating a bagel is Amy, right? <laughs> yep, sitting totally. next to you. And everyone else, one or two people, is on Zoom. Like, you can totally also just invite one other person in and have a three-person game. Um, There's nothing wrong with trying to do a two-person, but it can also be a little daunting as the GM running a game all yourself, having to play even more of it. And when there's uh, someone that you're in a relationship with can also get a little difficult at times. So um, having three people can make it a little easier. There's two players that can play off of you. um, They can have fun. Um, If if running a game is too much, there's also a lot of really cool games out there that are... I was trying to grab one that was two because I'm surrounded by 540 of my housemates' games. Um, We played a game called Larceny on the End of Time and Other Bothers. It's super fun. Uh, It's uh, basically your... It's a heist game um, that you can sort of just totally role play um but it says here it's three players so three plus but um it's fun because you don't really need a gm um and you can sort of set up how the heist is going to happen and you all get these traits and then you figure it out together so there are also a lot of games if you want to practice role playing that you can play with a small number of people uh, um just to get everyone comfortable there's one that i i knew about previously but couldn't quite remember the name until i found it right now and it's called mice and mystics um, mm. which has a an actual board that goes along I with have it, it, but it's an it's a yep. role playing game. Like you get your character card yep. and you you play the game through and each section of the board that you come across, you have to read sections in the book and role play through them. And that game is for one to four players. So you could even play it 
yourself. Probably, Alone. Probably a different way, but yeah, that's absolutely a good one for two players, and it gives you like a 60-minute playtime, so there's prob- uh, probably a clearer start and finish to it, um, but a good way to kind of soft roll into a tabletop role-playing game experience. Yeah, I have not played D&D or an RPG with only two people. I'm sure it's possible. Um, I'm sure there'd be fun parts to it, but I think it would, yeah, it would just be different. It'll be different. It'll also be intimate. It's like in comedy improv, you generally have, you know, a team of three, four or five people. And recently I started a two person like mini troupe with just two of us. And it was, it was very awkward at first. It was, you know, it was different. It was way more, I guess, I don't know, intimate's the word to say. Um, and it makes me a way better improviser doing that. So I'm sure doing two-person D&D games would be a good skill to practice. Um, I have not practiced it. Uh, for As far as like uh, podcasts or other media, uh, there's one show that I listen to where the, the main host, um, he, run, he does this. He runs a game for one other person. Oh, and it's yeah, I know. side character Forward. quest. Oh, there's another one where he does it. Uh, it's in the uh, in the uh, Powered by the Apocalypse world. Oh, okay. Plus one forward, I think. Plus one forward, or oh, the, yeah, yeah. He uh, he mm. brings on someone that has a game system, and then they run a mini adventure together. I don't know if it's the same person. Maybe it is. Uh, side character quest is run in D and D, but he does exactly that. Or sorry, they do exactly that. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, We'll link some down in the description there for actual examples of people playing games that you're familiar with being a big group game. All of them can be pared down. Um, it's just how comfortable you are to take that on. Because like both Sean and I said, it is a more intimate game when you're one-on-one and you only have that person to follow or to to lock eyes with as you're describing all these things and doing these funny voices. So as long as you're comfortable with that, I'd say Try try a game you're comfortable with and see if they're into that. Um, and but even yeah, if you're not comfortable some... with it, try it. Yeah. It, it, Says the man who hasn't tried it. Well, I mean, it's anytime you, you're like, oh, I don't know about trying this new thing, right? Like you can, it, it it's not going to hurt you to try. The worst thing that happens is you get to the end of an hour or two and you're like, you're just not invested in it or you you just spend too much time laughing at the wrong things but then again you're laughing anyways so you had fun you had you were entertained maybe for not the reasons you set out to be entertained for but you had fun and maybe that'll just kind of break the ice to continue playing and and trying new things out because it is a different way to play uh role-playing games when you're just that one-on-one moment here's a here's a follow-up question what are our what are our this is gonna be dangerous oh what are our tips for playing with your loved ones? Uh, for me, it's learning patience or practicing yeah. patience, if not learning it. I just, uh, with Dungeons, we just played um, a character swap episode where we put Dungeon Master and a whole bunch of characters in a hat. We all randomly draw. Amy drew Dungeon Master, um, and she's run games for us before. She she planned it. It was great. Everything went off like a hitch, except for one idiot who did. He's did. Russ is pointing at himself. I am pointing at myself. Um, didn't exactly follow the cookie crumbs as they were laid out. Um, and she is a less experienced dungeon master, game master. 
Um, and it wasn't in that moment fair for me to do that because I, as soon as I did it, I could sense that I did something wrong. Not that I did something wrong, but that I did something that she wasn't exactly comfortable with. So when you're playing with loved ones, significant others, it's good to try and really hone in on that because you can tell better than anybody else at any table you're sitting down at. I'm sure Tom and Carla didn't notice at all. And if they did, it was probably just a fleeting thing. Um, But I could feel that I was doing something that she wasn't exactly happy with. And it, and making things difficult for her. And making things more difficult than they needed to be and in an awkward. already stressful moment. And you're recording it, which adds a whole other layer of stress to that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the, oh my God, I have so many stories that are the same, but they weren't recorded. Because you and I, Russ, are, like, we just play crazy characters. And we're like, oh, this is the fun moment to do this bit. And then you see this person, like Eli was GMing. He did a great job, but it was his first time. And, and, and yeah, I just keep going. And then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I should just, maybe here I could just be like, oh, I know what we need to do instead of just refusing to do it and do what my character would do. Maybe I could just go outside and speak to the man that clearly we need to go speak to. And it all depends right? what role you're in in that moment, right? If, you're, if your significant other is, is DM or GMing and you can tell what they're trying to do because you've been in, this, in, in that role, you've got two options. You can take the bait. And help them tell the story that they're trying to tell. Or you, or you can have a lot of fun in the moment and sleep on the sofa. Or do that, right? Like, And if they're not comfortable <laughs> with that, um, you may end up sleeping on the sofa. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. yeah. So playing with, lo- playing with loved ones, uh, it's a great way to think about patience. It's a great way to think about not just yourself. And it's hard if you're, I mean, I think if I'm playing with a loved one and I'm GMing, it's easier. Because I'm like, okay, I know this game. I have someone that maybe isn't as experienced. I, I want them to have fun. But I think as a GM, I don't get to play a lot. So when I find myself suddenly being able to play, I sometimes get a little carried away. And yeah. So it's it's a oh. good reminder. 100%. So, yeah. yeah. I can't count the number of times in the last two or three weeks that I've played games and I've, I've gone too far just because of – I mean, it's it, – I draw it back to – the time right now where we don't have a lot of that outlet. So as soon as I get somebody who's going to yes and me for even a second, I'm going to take that ball and run with it. Yeah. hundred percent. Hopefully they're along for the ride in that moment. I will apologize for it later. <laughs> I think we got off topic there, but still. It was good though. No, this is a good topic. I mean, this is if you play with the other ones, it's, it's a good point to think about. Okay. I'm going to jump to question number three in the mailbag. Uh, Svengli, I hope I said that right, uh, asks, what do you do as DMs to keep track of any homebrew rules and mechanics you develop for your various campaigns, especially ones you make up on the fly to get moving ahead again out of a sticky situation? Um, they are thinking about players that will remember how something working in the past or worked in the past and lean on it and expect it to work in the same way in the future. Forget um, them! <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do too. Um, I... So I play in, I used to play in D&D in 2E. I still play in 5E, but I, I, if I have a choice now, I'll play in a Powered by the Apocalypse or some other system, generally Powered by the Apocalypse, because I really love how I can create, uh, they're, they're called playbooks or different things in Powered by the Apocalypse, but basically character sheets. Um, I love 
now I just love it creating a playbook. Like that's where Roll for Fairy Cakes come from and some of and Blatt's bazooka. It came from me just having a super fun time creating a single sheet of paper that had what are called these little moves. And it's one of the things that's really freeing. Like D&D is great. I love D&D. I love playing it, but to create a move, like to create a spell or to create anything, like there's whole forums of people arguing about how to power them and because there's so many intricacies involved, right? There's so much balancing involved because battle is so intricate. In a Power by the Apocalypse game, it's really easy to create moves and mechanics that you can put on the sheet and then forget about or come back to. Um, so to answer this question, if I had time in advance and I wanted to create a fae that was stuck in a future world as a PR person, I could create all these really bizarre, distorted, magical rules, um, as very simple one, like three sentence moves. Um, and then we use them when we use them. Um, but when it comes to in the moment, making something up, um, I'm like Russ. Yeah. I just, I don't worry about it. If I don't write it down right away, legit, I forget about it. And there's been multiple times you can go back and listen to Dungeons where not only I've forgotten about it, but Tom, Amy, and Carla have forgotten about it. And it's something that is like rests on how the show is going to or how the story is going to be told right to the very end. I mean, both Sean and I have said that we have like a, either a notepad or recipe cards beside us. If you come up with something that you're not sure about or that you're just making up a rule for, jot it down, go check it afterwards. If it's something where you think that the players might, I'm I'm trying to read it, not, not abuse, but use again to their advantage. And it's something that you you thought of that changes the rules of the game address that in the next session and be like, hey, made this ruling. Turns out the rule is actually this. Go back, find out what the rule is and move forward with the actual rule. If it's something that is neither here nor there and it's just like, well, we made it up, we did it, jot it down or have somebody else jot it down so that you can ref- you know, go back to it at a later date as well. And one of the cool things is as you play other game systems, um, they encourage you as GM to not be the person that comes up with all the reasons and the mechanics. So it's really also changed the way I play D&D. So um, let's say you did a mechanic that was amazing for this moment. And then one of the players, you've forgotten about it. One of the players brings it back. They're like, they're going to use the sword and combine it with this thing. And you're like, oh shit, what happened last time? Um, They're doing it because they remember what happened. (laughs) They, in their head, they figured out a solution. So first rule of thumb is, is this more interesting as GM? Is the fact that they put this together and they're going to try it in this situation more interesting or less interesting? If it's going to ruin everything and just whatever, less interesting. If it's really cool and it's going to have potential repercussions or work better than they expected um, and take down the whole building, not just the monster, there's all kinds of ways you can play it. Um, but you can also just have them roll. They're like, oh, we didn't roll last time. I'm like, well, you have to roll. And if the roll is good and succeeds, then you let it happen. If the roll isn't good and doesn't succeed, I have them tell me what happens instead. I often do that. I just turn to the, I just turn the table. I go, and in, well, it didn't work. And instead, what happens? Right? And the, the best idea is the one you run with. Um, and it starts to change it to being like everyone remembering mechanics. And the game table starts to be more about who can come up with fun ideas for when things go wrong, which can be really fun for a table. 
Absolutely. Because everybody wants to be that moment in the dungeon master's or the game master's seat when things go sour. Because we're going to come up with something that is not good for them, but good for the bad guys. They're going to come up with something that is not good for them, but probably also not good for the bad guys, which makes it more interesting on both sides to tell that story. And they often come up with something way worse than I would have thought of. More often than not, it, it, they will try and kill themselves. Like, what, what's the worst thing that happens? Well, they impale themselves on their sword. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, I'd say, like, uh, we, neither Russ nor I spent a lot of time worrying about past mechanics. And I think sometimes it feels like as a GM... Okay, so part of our our job as a GM is to create a world that feels real, right? That is like for everyone to enjoy the game, the, they have to invest in the world. But that does not mean the world is real, nor does it mean the world has to behave as real. Like I'm rewatching the magicians and Fillory, like the the the, the magical space. Yep. Not if anybody's seen it, it's just bonkers. Nothing makes sense, but it's so fun. So. As long as you just always have, if there's a part of your world that's just bonkers, that's the rule. All the only rule you have, the rule you have to remember is bonkers, yeah. right? And then just start describing um, out most out there things. Anything that pops in your head can happen. So the key is not the mechanics. The key is the story elements. If you have a prince who hates them, and the prince suddenly shows up and loves them, if you're doing your job right. No one's going to trust that prince. They're going to know something's up. If you haven't done your job right, then they're going to be like, oh, now the prince is good. Like that's, You know what I mean? That shouldn't, like, like, they should be invested in the characters, the people in the story and their motivations. That's what you want to not forget. Because um, that messes everything up. If I've done it. I had a prince that, or not a prince, but it was a character who I, it was some so far ago, I forgot that he hated the party. And I just had him appear and be ignoring them. And they were freaking out. And about halfway through the scene, when they were really panicking about this guy who was ignoring them, I remembered, right? And I just kept playing him, ignoring. But I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, how do I how do I come up? What's the reason why he would be ignoring them? Is he messing with them? You know, because it's key that I not drop the character motivation for the story for them. Yes, motivations, 100%, way over mechanics. Um, know your characters, know your story. Um, and the mechanics... Rule of cool, man. Like, if it works and it's cool, do it. If for some reason you think that it's going to destroy how the game is working and it's going to take the fun away from everybody, just dump it. Dump it. Like, yeah. Rule of cool. Um, okay, we got one final question, which is uh, from... W. Lewis Black. They sent us an email. Thank you for the email. We love. Yeah. We love receiving those. Um, their question, uh, do you have any suggestions? Uh, they, they acknowledge that we've, we've kind of talked about some horror elements before in a past episode. If you want to listen to that one with again, Travis episode, Vengroff, right with Travis, who's amazing at horror, um, episode 12, you can go back and listen to that, but they say, um, horror is not really their thing, but they'd love to add some horror elements to a campaign because it would be a fun change of pace, uh, from what they do in the past, but I don't want to do a half-assed job of it do you have any suggestions for incorporating horror into a fantasy campaign yes so first of all go listen to dark dice um travis it's travis's sort of i think latest and ultimate 
dark horror until soon. Go listen to it now because soon there's going to be two characters coming in who turn it into a comedy. Just wreck it. I don't. I don't know who that would be, Rusty. You don't know. Um, no. no one can see us <laughs> pointing at each other, right? <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, I don't do. I'm probably a little like you, um, W. Uh, I don't do a lot of intense horror. So, if I'm trying to bring elements of horror in, um, I steal from Travis. So, one of the things that I love is the idea of um, not trusting. So, it can be an untrustworthy narrator. Um, or it can be the information that they're getting they start to not trust. Um, and and with, with the right mood, so um, not my normal characters, which tend to be very crazy, um, you know, more subdued, dark kind of tones, um, when characters start to not trust the world and then you put lots of, you know, blackness and, and tree branches that are reaching for you and stuff like that, um, I find it starts to create this really intense, I've experienced it playing in Travis's game. So how you make characters question what they're seeing, um, you don't know if they, they keep not knowing if they're asleep or awake, right? All these terrible things are happening and then they wake up again and then it all starts to go bad and people are dying and then they wake up again. Could be cool. Um, but again, I'm just making this up. Go listen to Dark Dice. Travis does it really well. Yeah, like like we said, that episode 12 really outlays outlines some like, actual physical environment stuff that you can do like candles and music and that sort of thing. Um, descriptions, the, the, the hinted perception as, as it's described to your characters. Um, uh, there's excellent, if you're playing D and D or you're playing other sorts of games, there's often like a sanity or a, like a wisdom style, uh, trait that you can attach to things, which give, um, separate players, um, different, like one person sees something that's, that's not there or one person sees right. something differently than another person. So that causes distrust even within your own characters, right? Because there's a lot of information passing not to everyone. Yeah, which, which kind of brings us to uh, the next part of W's next question. Uh, also, we are planning on doing this via video conferencing. I know you just covered this a couple episodes ago. We did in episode 19. Um, but are there any particular problems with doing things remotely that you didn't mention? Yeah, I've run into lag. Lag is a pain in the... Lag can be difficult. Yeah. We're running into it right now, Russ and I, over talk because you don't realize the other person hasn't stopped or did stop or whatever. Um, I think... it can. I just went through it. It can be really hard to read the table sometimes. It, it's harder to know when people aren't invested. Especially if... Some people aren't using the video side of it. Like if they're just using audio, um, which some people either don't have a webcam or just aren't comfortable using a webcam, um, which is totally fine. But you can't then see them for those physical cues, like smiling or, you know, checking their phone or just completely disconnecting. Um, or their webcam is at a weird angle. So you just see the side of their face and you can't tell what they're doing. They're not even looking at you. There's stuff like that. So. It can be a little harder. I think you have to spend more time checking in, like, you know what I mean? Making sure people are engaged. Like, how you almost like have to be in your head, I think, thinking, how long has it been since so and so said anything? It's easy to skip people. Yeah, so, running the game, it's just making sure that you're paying attention to each player and character individually. 
the player might be saying a lot of things, but not actually interacting in game or in character. And then it's just directing your questions to that character. But yeah, paying attention to who's participating and how often they're participating. And and yeah, if you haven't, you know, heard from player A or B, touch in with them and just say, hey, you know, you doing okay over there? What is what does your character do in this moment? Um, but yeah, lag's a big one. Um, and being able to connect completely in when you're around a table you can all see everybody everybody's held accountable to the game and you can easily tell when you're losing them in the story when you don't have that directly it makes it a little bit more difficult and if you if one of you has D beyond paid it's so nice for remote <laughs> like having as the gm being able to go in and check something for a character remotely um, I've seen games get so stalled because, you know, someone can't figure out how to do something. So um, D&D Beyond is just, it's just beautiful. Just the ability of the GM can just pull up a character, someone's profile, read the spell or do whatever. Um, yeah, we do it. Great. We do it for dumb. We use it for dungeons and it's, yeah, like, yeah. You can go in, we've got a campaign that has several different storylines. It's got all of our characters in there at any time if somebody has a question or I think maybe something's not working the way it should, like I can go look at their character and we can talk about it and correct it or just be like, yeah, that's totally cool. That's the thing that I just misunderstood. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's a lot of cool tools. Um, but yeah, those those setbacks that we didn't mention before, uh, they, they can just be, just to be things aware that you're aware of. And Lewis asked for us to do a session zero. We hear you, Lewis. It is on our um, docket. Uh, Russ and I got a little busy uh, launching a network, but um, we uh, the next, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but I think the next one shot we run, we're going to try and run a session zero and record that so you can all hear how we go about doing it. That's, that is the plan. Um, we've got you know plans in place to be able to do that. It won't be necessarily the next episode that comes out, uh, but yeah, the next actual play style episode will include a session zero and a, and a short session one as well. And that is the end of the mailbag episode, Russ. Thank you for playing with us today. If you want to have uh, your questions answered, or if you have questions and you want them answered by us, please send them to us, dm to gmcast at gmail.com. We're also on Discord, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links are down in the description. We'd love to hear from you so that we can answer your questions. And uh, for those that we've answered questions for, if you have more follow-up questions, we want to hear about that too. Don't just take ours as gospel if we said something that's kind of weird and goofy and you're like i don't agree with that call us out on it because maybe we said something that we didn't realize we were saying or we misunderstood it could happen that's the end of the episode okay bye The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Were you accused of a murder enacted by supernatural forces beyond your control? Yeah. Are you seeking a multi-figure gold settlement for damages to your business? Yes. Are you a young entrepreneur seeking justice for the murder of a family member that would be here if you were better at your job? Yeah. Hello, I'm Thomas Phelps. I am the attorney, along with my assistants, of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher, and we want to help you get justice. Our expert legal services are available for a modest fee. 
but not too modest. I got a family to feed. As a bot, I don't eat, but I do have a hunger. A hunger for justice. And that hunger drives us to work for you, future client. From investigation to sentencing, we've got you covered for everything from public urination. Oh, yeah. To murder in varying degrees. Don't look at me. The attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher care about families. That's why they work quickly to help get this daddy off. I was blown away. My business was in trouble after an unfortunate case of property damage. But the attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher helped set things right with a hefty gold settlement. So come on down to the law offices of Phelps, Oz, Mogbile, and Felcher. Located in the old Biscayne Boys building. In Eastern Orgea. Just follow the podcast highway signs for Dungeons and Drimbus and take the season three exit. The attorneys of Phelps, Oz, Mogbio, and Felcher are not responsible nor liable for any of the following that may be incurred while working on your case. Sudden death, loss of limb, heartbreak, the use of magic to secure evidence, the wrath of an interdimensional being, urinary bladder infection, nausea, depression, the sudden desire to remove one's clothing, the illicit romance of a will-they-won't-they workplace scenario, or complete and utter disregard for the natural laws of space and time. Join your favorite fantasy attorneys for their next case. Dungeons and Drimbus publishes every Friday wherever podcasts are found.